11-year MLS pro Quincy Marroquois here, and you're now listening to The Perfect Soccer Podcast, where your host goes one-on-one to get to know your favorite professional soccer players, both on and off the pitch. Because how better to learn what it takes to become a pro soccer player other than directly from pro soccer players? Today's episode is brought to you by PerfectSoccerSkills.com, the number one and only platform you'll ever need to connect with and learn from pro soccer players. Learn more and enter to win weekly soccer prizes, goals, balls, jerseys, player meet and greets, and more by heading over to PerfectSoccerSkills.com PSTM to enter to win for free today. With that said, please enjoy today's episode. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Perfect Soccer Podcast. Our special guest today is Chris Aduliachum. Chris, how's it going? Thanks for coming on. Paul, thanks for having me. Excited for today. Yeah, definitely. Um, so let's go back in time a little bit. Uh, how'd you get started playing soccer? Yeah, so um, first time I played soccer, like on a team, was about five years old. Just in my local county team. But, uh, you know, I always grew up around the game. I had a father who played back in his day, and I had two older brothers who played. So, you know, just uh, playing with them and seeing them play, you know, that's how I picked up the game and fell in love with it right away. Gotcha. And then going back uh, to your youth career, you didn't play high school soccer, right? Um, I did. Oh, you did? So I, I played uh, for my local high school. Not my local, but uh, about 20 mm-hmm. minutes from me, I went to the math at Catholic High School. And, uh, you know, I played there all four years. That was before there was that academy rule. So, oh, okay. yeah, I was able to play both club and high school. Okay, so, yeah, what was that like? Because I know I talked to a few guys and some of them in different states. Some Sometimes they don't let you play both. So what was that like playing both? Mm-hmm. Uh, it was great for me, especially the school I went to. You know, the school, the math I went to, uh, we're known kind of for our sports a little bit. Uh, we have professionals and pretty much all the sports, all the major sports around. So, you know, we had a top soccer team in the area. Also, the league we played in, WCAC is one of the top leagues probably in the country at the time. So it was very competitive. You know, there was no drop-off or anything like maybe some other leagues. So it was very good for me. You know, I was able to play for my school. I was able to play with some of my best friends. So, you know, playing high school was a great experience for me. Yeah, I so saw you. Uh, you won the state championship in 2011. Um, how how was that feeling? Yeah, it was a great year for us. We were at, we were actually national champions uh, that year as well. Oh, okay. Yeah, we went undefeated that year. Yeah, we were we were a very good team. <laughs> how <Yeah>. how <laughs> undefeated? That's crazy in soccer. Too? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah we, were, we were pretty good. Was there a, was there a time where you were like? Oh my God, we're undefeated and we're going into the playoffs. Like, imagine you just like you lose one game in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So that year, no, I, I knew our team was was, was the best uh, team in, around. Uh, we did have some competition, especially our main rival, mm-hmm. but uh, who we played in the championship. So, for the most part, you know, I was very confident in our team. Right. And actually, in uh, the three years I played varsity, I only lost one game. That was my senior year, my last game, senior year championship. Uh, funny enough, but that's crazy. Uh, yeah, the rest of my time I was undefeated. That's that's pretty crazy. Was there any like yeah. games that stand out that were like totally lopsided? 
Yeah, we we won a couple like you know eleven, <laughs> eleven zero and stuff like that. Wow. Uh, yeah, we we were pretty good. Yeah, it's crazy. Actually, sorry, I think I said three years undefeated. It was only the last two years we were. Uh, I gotcha. No, 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 no. Three, it was three years. Yeah, three years undefeated. Well, yeah. Regardless, any of those stats are crazy going undefeated in this season. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I'm assuming there was a lot of D1 players on your team. So what was your recruiting process like? Mine was uh, pretty straightforward. It wasn't it wasn't too complicated. Uh, me being from Maryland, uh, I'd always loved the Maryland soccer program. You know, I grew up going to their summer camps and, you know, going to their games during their seasons. So, you know, I'd always wanted to go there, but I, I didn't always know if I was good enough to play there. But uh, around my junior years when in high school was when I really kind of took off, took a step forward, and became kind of recognized as one of the better players in the area. Uh, so, yeah, they first came to me September of my junior year as the season kind of started and talked for them for a few months, met with the coach Saj maybe about four times in his office, and then I committed in December. So, you know, they were the first team to show that much interest that early and it was a team that I always wanted to go to so you know I thought it was a no-brainer for me me being able to stay close to home mm-hmm. have my family and friends be able to come watch me and also have the best soccer environment to prepare me for the next level so you know I, I thought I had everything there at University of Maryland it turned out being the best choice by far for me so I know you said that was your dream school but was there any other schools that you were leaning towards or just or making a final decision or not no, it was pretty much Maryland all the way. Yeah. Um, I only met with one other school, mm-hmm. and other than that, I had shown some other teams had shown some interest, but that was later in my mm-hmm. junior year when Maryland already had that head start. So instead of dragging it out, I knew I wanted to be at Maryland. I know they wanted me, so you know it was a pretty easy decision for me. Gotcha. I felt like. Did any of your teammates from high school go to Maryland with you? Uh, no, I, I was the only one to go to Maryland. Uh, but, you know, we had some guys go to some top schools. Mm-hmm. Some of my best friends, one went to UVA, which is like a big Maryland rival. Mm-hmm. One went to Wake Forest, to Corey Hayes. He actually plays for Minnesota United now. And uh, I had another guy who went to Indiana University, one at UMBC, one at High Point. So, yeah, we had quite a few uh, D1 players on my high school team. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then um, what was your overall experience like at Maryland? great experience uh i don't know if i could have had a better experience anywhere else mm-hmm. i don't think so but you know from all levels my soccer obviously i was able to go into a great competitive environment which pushed me every day to become a better player and prepare me for the next level uh academically it was great for me uh, i mean i was able to get my degree there um, before i left to play pro and uh socially you know just still being able to be home I had a lot of friends who went to the school, like, who I knew prior to UMD. So, you know, I had my teammates there, but I also had friends who I went to high school or knew from the area. So it was just a great balance of everything. And anybody who knows me knows that, you know, I love where I'm from, uh, PG County and, you know, the schools right there in the county. So uh, it was great being home, just being 20 minutes from, from campus. Yeah. What about, what did you study? What did you get your degree in? Uh, economics. All right. You're smart with the money now. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> uh, and then, um, yeah, tell me about just like 
what made you decide to go pro? Yeah, so I, I always didn't know. I had always wanted to go pro, but uh, I didn't always think I had the ability to go pro. So for me, uh, I remember the first time I met with my uh, coach at Maryland Sage, you know, he had asked me when I came up to meet with him if uh, if I wanted to play pro. I, I said, yeah, but, you know, I'm not really sure. Uh, I told him the reasons why. And then he said, okay, I mean, but I think you have the ability. And he's like, everyone who comes here wants to go on a play pro. And so, you know, that was just a great environment itself that everybody around wanted to play pro as well. So, you know, everybody's focusing on their schoolwork, but still having the, the goal of becoming a pro player. So every day we're training like that, you know, people are preparing themselves, preparing their bodies, doing the right things in order to make it to that next level. Um, so my first two years at Maryland, and the thing about Maryland as well is that our coach, he, he didn't make any promises. So when he was recruiting me, mm-hmm. he was saying, uh, he was saying, yeah, like, I'm not sure if you're going to, he's like, you probably won't start when you get here and you might not even play. You might even register. But, you know, I, that didn't phase me. I just want to go into the best environment possible. Whereas I think a lot of other schools that give people these promises, like, oh, we're going to start you and da, 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 you're going to play here and they give a whole bunch of promises that they really can't keep. So I was respected that about my coach. So when I got to Maryland, I ended up starting my freshman year, uh, funny enough. Uh, but I played center back. Mm-hmm. And for those who don't know, I'm I'm a small guy. I'm 5'8", you know, start, starting center back as a freshman. But, you know, I, I was able to hold my own. So I played center back my first two years. But, you know, being a 5'8 center back, you're not likely to go pro. Uh, with that type of height and with the build I had. So uh, that's why I didn't really think. I was like, okay, yeah, I'm doing here well here at Maryland, but don't think I can play pro at center back. But my coach knew this all along. He always said it was temporary and that he eventually moved me to right back, which I did transitioning into my junior year. And, you know, I prepared for that over the summer, came in, had a decent year at junior year. And, uh, you know, that's when I thought I had a real chance of playing pro. And I think I took it even uh a uh, level higher my senior year and that's when I knew that I would have a good chance of being drafted so mm. that was my process of thinking you know leading up to the draft and becoming a pro yeah I mean yeah I mean that's that's pretty crazy like the beginning you didn't really know and then all of a sudden then you turn into a top prospect in the 2017 draft yeah so what what was that like um like the pre-draft stuff what, what was all that like yeah, so the, the pre-draft stuff was pretty cool. Um, so we had uh, our season in, and I think uh, October or November, we had to end it pretty early, my last senior year in college. So uh, I just tried to continue staying in shape. Uh, I would do it like a lot of pickup with the guys in the area and stuff like that, just so I'm staying in some type of shape. But it was still pretty hard, you know, with it being the winter months and, you know, having to – the combine, they had the MLS combine at the time where they bring in some of the top prospects in the college uh, system to play a few games in front of all the MLS coaches, have interviews with them and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so that, that was a great experience for me. You know, some of my good friends I was able to go with, like Jacor, who I mentioned I went to high school with, and one of my college teammates, Suli. Uh, so, you know, just going through that whole experience with them was pretty cool. And then, uh, yeah, we just went through the combine and then had the draft, which was a little uh, crazy in itself, but a uh, very good memory. Yeah, and then um, 
like you went 12th overall. Um, did you know DC United was going to pick you? Yeah. So that, that's a funny story itself. So like I said, in the, in the combine teams can request to, to meet with you, to interview you, get to know you personally and stuff like that. And, uh, so I, I had that with about eight teams or something like that. And DC actually wasn't one of them. So I remember texting with some of my good friends in the group chat the day before. I was telling them, like, yeah, like, I'm not coming home. You know, I'm, I'm definitely going somewhere else across the country. But <laughs> I, I was like, I didn't meet with DC. I don't think I'm going there. And, uh, you know, funny enough, when it came up to their 12th pick, they ended up taking me. And, you know, I was very happy about staying home. But at the same time, I didn't expect it at all. Yeah, yeah. I mean that. I mean that's awesome. And from Maryland, obviously, you go go to DC, so then you're close home again. Um, so yeah, how, how excited were besides besides you being excited? How how excited was like your family that you were staying home again? Oh yeah, yeah, very excited. Just um, being able to come see me at the pro level, that I could stay close to home and stuff like that. So you know, everybody around was very happy. You know, I was very happy myself. So uh, I think it, it, it was great for me. Especially, this was a club that you know I had grown up watching. Mm-hmm. I had grown up going to RFK to watch them play, and you know seeing them win MLS championships and things like that, MLS cups, and eventually, you know, I'm uh, playing on that field now. You know, mm-hmm. so it was uh, it was pretty cool me being able to get to go to DC. Yeah, then walk me through uh, what your uh, MLS debut. Yeah, MLS debut was. Um, it was in April of 2017. Mm-hmm. We um we were playing Atlanta United, which was like a you know when they came in and we're pretty good right away. And we weren't doing so well at the time. And you know I was on the bench, and we actually ended up playing a great game and ended up winning three one. But I think uh, you know I wasn't even expecting to get called. I think it was like the 90th minute. Mm-hmm. And, you know, our coach Ben called me over so I could get my debut. And it was kind of a funny story. We were up 3-1. So uh, we subbed off a guy, Lloyd Sam. You know, and he was taking his time. We are up 3-1. He's taking his time. So he's walking off kind of slowly. The ref is trying to hurry him up. But, you know, I'm making my debut. You know, I'm, I'm ready to go. So, you know, I'm jumping over on the sidelines. And then I start running on the field. And then, and then Lloyd kind of got mad at me. He said, man, what are you doing, man? I'm trying to waste time. Like, he was like, get back over there to the sideline. And so, you know, I jogged back to the sideline, waiting for him to walk off. It was kind of a funny situation, but, you know, I was very excited. I, I think I only touched the ball once. I think I just kicked it out of bounds. But uh, mm-hmm. it, it was great getting my, my first game in there. That's when they were playing at uh, Georgia Tech. But it, it, it was a nationally televised game. I think they had like 50,000 50, there, and it was a great experience for me getting that debut. Yeah, and overall, your your rookie season, how was it? Uh, was there any uh, little hazing going on? <laughs> <laughs> hazing? Uh, Did they make you carry nah, their bags or anything? <laughs> no, nah, I don't think there was any hazing or anything from, uh, from, from any of the guys. Most of the guys were pretty cool, mm-hmm. uh, for sure. Most of the vets, you know, I learned a lot from a lot of different guys. At that time, you know, we had, you know, great veterans in there like Bobby Boswell, who had a lot of knowledge. And, you know, I, I was able to pick things off of, you know, a lot of different guys. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Um, yeah. And then in uh, October 2018, you're you're diagnosed with um, cancer. Um, how did that start? Like, what made you like go get checked out? 
Yes, yeah, so that was a long, long process. Um, I initially started feeling certain symptoms, just certain things in my body that just didn't feel right, probably about a year before I was actually diagnosed. And uh, so I was just dealing with different things. And whether that was me being real tired on the field or, you know, just fatigue and I don't know, just a lot of different things that I just knew weren't normal, mm-hmm. but just didn't know why. And so maybe about uh, six months after feeling these symptoms, you know, I'm going to the team telling them, yeah, I'm, I'm not really feeling right. I don't know what it is, da-da-da. And so they started getting me checked out. You know, I was doing a lot of different tests, uh, you know, blood tests, pulmonary, uh, cardiovascular, mm-hmm. whole, whole wide range of things, you know, um, neurological and stuff like that. And uh, they couldn't really seem to find anything. So, you know, at that point, that was getting really hard for me is that, you know, I'm not being able to play at the level I want, but nobody knows why. So, you know, that was hard for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, so I'm, I'm just going on with training, basically. At the time, I was coming back from an injury, uh, from a surgery. So, you know, that's kind of what I thought was might have been mm-hmm. why I was so tired. You know, I'm just trying to get back in shape. So I'm just kind of pushing through things. And then one morning... You know, I woke up, uh, just didn't have a good feeling in my chest, short of shortness of breath. And then I went to the emergency room, you know, my local health, Bowie Health Center. And, you know, that's when they did, uh, you know, a couple tests. They did the blood test. They didn't find anything. They got an x-ray done in my chest. And then the doctor came in and was like, yeah, like the x-ray, it looks like a little hazing in your, in your chest, but... You know, the radiologist doesn't think it's anything serious. Like, uh, he thinks you're fine. And then the doctor's like, but, you know, I'm, I'm just going to make sure. So I'm going to make sure you get a, a scan of your chest. Uh, was it a, a CT scan? Mm-hmm. It was like a more in-depth x-ray. So, you know, I get that done. And then he comes back. He's like, uh, yeah, um, there seems to be a mass in, your, in the center of your chest. And uh, he's like, yeah, I don't know if it's malignant or benign, but uh, obviously the next step is to get a, a PET scan to see, you know, if it's cancerous or not. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I, I eventually got that done, and then it came back as, as cancerous. But uh, And then I had to go figure out what type of cancer and stuff like that. But, you know, that was my whole process of getting it checked out. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's pretty scary that they couldn't, like, figure it out, and it took that long almost. Yeah, it's a real weird situation, but it wasn't like a lack of effort or anything mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. You know, we went through a lot of different tests, and nothing really just showed up. But that was the first episode when I had felt the like the shortness of breath, and mm-hmm. not the shortness of breath, but the the chest pain, which I could direct them. Oh yeah, I might need an X ray specifically look at my chest before that. It wasn't localized like uh, that morning I woke up. So you know, mm-hmm. I'm glad I went to the health center because you know. At first, I was just going to go in like any other day. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so going through that process, um, and then you did get back on the field the next season. Uh, you completed your treatments. Uh, what what was that? What was that feeling like? Just beating it. Oh yeah, it was a great feeling for me. But you know, I, I was very confident that I was going to mm-hmm. going to beat it and eventually make it back on the field. Um, so it was it wasn't really you know surprising or anything to me. I always knew it was just going to be a matter of time. And, you know, making it back on the field was something that kept me motivated. Mm-hmm. And some of the tougher days through treatment, through the, the four months of chemo, 
But, you know, eventually making it back on the field and playing the game in Alley Field, you know, it was a great feeling for me and a great accomplishment. And, you know, I'm still trying to build off that uh, this season. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, going into this season, obviously uh, we're in a pandemic right now. Where were you at when, uh, like, the team told you guys? Yeah, so we were just – we had just beaten Miami uh, our second game of the season – and, you know, we were going in for practice as normal. And, uh, yeah, we, we had, like, a little bit of a weird practice. Mm-hmm. But, like, before practice, they are saying, yeah, like, the league is – I think that was the day when uh, Rudy Gobert mm-hmm. of the Utah Jazz was tested positive. So, like – and then the NBA, you know, postponed their season. So, kind of when you knew the NBA was doing it, you knew the MLS was probably – and other leagues were probably going to follow. Everybody kind of knew it was coming. And then by the time we ended practice, they were like, yeah, uh, we're, we're probably going to have to take some time off. We didn't know how long it would be, but, yeah, we were just, just in the locker room. They kind of told us the situation. We didn't have too much information, but that's kind of how everything went down. And, you know, we're still here today. <laughs> yeah, how have you been uh, training now or staying in shape? Yeah, so uh, various ways. The, the team, they draw up weekly uh training individual trainings for us to do you know while we're social distancing so you know just trying to find the uh area of space to to do all these workouts in. and you know i'm just trying to get some technical things in on my own um and then also they have these fitness runs and stuff that we do every maybe about five days out the week and also these these lifts that they have us do you know upper body and lower body so you know, we're content keeping up with that uh, that muscle mass. Gotcha. So yeah, I'm, I'm I'm doing all right so far. Gotcha. Yeah, definitely a weird time right now. Yeah. Enjoy learning what it takes to become a better player from professional soccer players. Well, how would you like to work with professional players one on one? Now you can with B Pro by Perfect Soccer. Head over to perfectsoccerskills.com/bepro to apply to work with our network of pro players today. All right, you ready for the five Quincy questions? I hope so. <laughs> uh, what's the most important skill that you feel has helped you the most be a successful pro player? Most important skill? Yeah. Um, for me, my my main skill that, you know, stands out is is my, my athleticism, my speed. Mm-hmm. You know, if you see me play, that's probably the first thing that, that jumps out. Um so you know that that's probably one thing that's that's helped me, um, yeah. and that's one thing that I've always had, and I, I kind of relied on that a lot. And you know, as I gone up in levels, I've definitely had to add other parts into my game. So you know, that's probably where it comes in. It's just learning not to rely on mm-hmm. my athleticism so heavily and as much because one day I will lose that. And there's going to be this new homegrown 16-year-old who's twice as fast as me, so I can't rely on this forever. Yeah. And that was a big thing that uh, Quincy used to preach to me is, you know, just more about reading the game and not having to rely on that. I mean, it's always there if I need it, mm-hmm. at least for now. But if I don't have to, if I can put myself in a better spot, then that's uh, I'll be better off that. So I think it's just adding to my game and being able to do that is, is a skill that I've acquired. Yeah, definitely. Uh, what's the biggest mistake you think pro players are making? The biggest mistake? Um, 
probably off the field. Um, I think a big mistake some guys might be making is not preparing for uh, life after soccer. Mm-hmm. And this is something I definitely felt short of, especially like my first two years. You know, I'm coming home from practice and just <laughs> just chilling for real. Just, <laughs> yeah. You know, coming home, taking a two-hour nap, you know, waking up, chilling, playing video games, watching Netflix. You know, just uh, not being that productive with my time and useful with it. Mm-hmm. Something that could help me, you know, when I finish playing. But obviously now I'm I'm trying to change that and trying to prepare for life after soccer. Mm-hmm. And that's another big thing that Quincy, you know, would, would preach to me. So Quincy, he, he taught me a lot in the one year that I played with him last year on D.C. And, you know, he was just a mentor to me and really putting me on game on a lot of things of, of soccer, of, you know, off the field stuff business whatever you know Quincy knows a lot about a lot of different topics and the thing about him he was always able to and always willing to pass on that information to somebody else you know which is just not a lot like not a lot of people are really like that so I always respected that about Quincy and that was a big thing he, he, he would preach to me was just you know just just do things to to, to set yourself up for life after soccer because, you know, honestly, your, your career can be over any day. And, you know, that was a big lesson, obviously, I learned with me going through my battle mm-hmm. with, um, with with cancer is that, yeah, you know, tomorrow it could be all be over. Like, what am I going to do? So, you know, if I, if I don't have something set up in place now, I, at the very least, I would like to have some type of plan that mm-hmm. I know I can go right into, you know, whenever my, uh, my career is over, which hopefully is not for a long time, but... Mm-hmm. you know that's the thing you, you just never know yeah definitely yeah i mean i think uh like you touched on it before when you're just saying you're going home and just like chilling i feel like everybody like goes through that stage of just like not doing anything and then figuring it out <laughs> yeah i mean it's kind of understandable i mean for me you know college and the way that uh that i must set up with the draft being in january so if you want to finish school before you leave for this draft, you know, you have to graduate in three and a half years instead of the full four years. So for me, I'm, I'm taking extra classes. Like uh, every summer I'm taking classes. Every winter break, Maryland has classes done too. So, you know, I'm taking classes mm-hmm. year, literally year round for three and a half years with, with no break. So when I'm getting to the professional, you know, career, you know, I'm just practicing in the morning and I have a, the rest of the day off. So. I'm like, oh man, this is sweet. You know, I'm about to, I'm about to chill. I've been able to chill really in a, in a while. So I mean, I, people go through that. I mean, it, it's probably for, good for me to get that out of my system. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like I need to do that that type of stuff now. But uh, it's definitely understandable for for a lot of people, especially people who you know are just coming out of university mm-hmm. and finally have some time to just uh, decompress and relax a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Um, what advice would you give to a young player trying to make a pro league? Yeah, um, a couple of things. I would I would tell them I would tell them to to really get try to get yourself in the most competitive environment possible and just push yourself. And that's something that uh, you know I did when I when I was young. I played on a local club team, but uh, I, I got to a point when I, I was like twelve years old, and I knew that I wasn't being challenged enough. So you know, I really just looked around the area for the best team in the area. And I was like, I, I want to play for them just so I'm 
challenging myself every game, you know, every day in practice. Uh, so, you know, if, if you're able to have the opportunity to really just challenge yourself and put yourself in the hardest environment, and if you're able to rise to that occasion, you know, that'll be best for you in the long run. I know it can be easy, you know, like on a club team that, you know, all your friends are playing on and you're just comfortable. And, but sometimes you might just have to get out of that in order to, you know, become the best version of yourself. So that's one thing. And another thing I would say is probably just training on your own which is something I wasn't great at when I was young. And I, I wish someone really had told me to focus on that because there's only so much you can do in a team environment, but, you know, you can get so much better while training on your own. So if there's something that you feel is lacking in your game, you can just really go out by yourself or maybe with one or two other guys and get those extra touches and focus on that one thing that you feel like you need to get better at. And I didn't really learn this till I got to Maryland, but... When I did start doing that, when I got into college, I could really see the vast improvement. I was just like, man, I wish I would have uh, really done this when I was younger. It was something like, you know, when I'm going from center back to right back, I have to start really working on my crossing. So, you know, my junior year in college, you know, I could do all the defending and all that was fine. But going forward, I wasn't the best at. So that summer, you know, going that spring and summer going into my senior year, I'm working on crossing i'm working on going at people one-on-one you know i'm working on my fitness so i can you know overlap the right winger all game long and get up and down the field because i know that's what the is required of outside backs at the professional levels them to defend and attack as well and so you know i just had to work on those things on my own in order to uh, to be best off so i, I was just telling them to to train on their own to focus on things that they think they need to improve and just doing that on their own in their own time. Yeah. I mean, those are, those are two great points. These, these are the two harder ones. I would say the Quincy questions, uh, what do you, <laughs> what, what is something that most people think is true that you believe isn't? Um, that most people think is true that I believe is not. Yeah. Okay. Um, and this could be, this could be soccer related or, or anything or life related. Yeah. Uh, for that, I would say, uh, it would probably be off soccer, outside of soccer. I feel like a lot of people have, um, a lot of us have this target of success that's in our heads. And uh, and if, when we feel like we get there, we'll be complete, we'll feel accomplished, we'll be fulfilled. And a lot of times, you know, kind of with the way our society is, that's either a material goal or, you know, a status-driven goal or something like that. And uh, or wealth, you know, I'm, I'm, I finally got this income. I'm going to feel complete or maybe even a relationship. You know, I, I found this girl. I'm, I'm going to be complete. But I feel like a lot of times when people get there, get this goal that they've been working so hard at, they still feel like something is, is missing or there's some type of void. And so I, I would just say, uh, you know, kind of just get right with yourself first and uh, kind of have more internal motivations than external uh, i mean both are good but if all your motivation is external i think you're some people might be lacking you know with yourself i think some people you can kind of see this with uh you know some celebrities they get all the fame and money and status that they want but you know sometimes they get that and still feel something missing and then that's kind of sometimes when you see them maybe depressed or having some some mental mental health issues it's because they worked so so hard to get to this thing and they still don't feel complete 
um, and they don't have the happiness or what they thought would would bring them all that happiness. So you know, I would just say, you know, enjoy enjoy your life journey. You know, it's an adventure instead of really just chasing after something that will probably bring you some temporary gratification, but it isn't truly life fulfilling. Uh, if that makes sense, and mm-hmm. I mean, sadly, that's just kind of how our what our culture, you know, pushes and promotes is, uh, you know, it values wealth and materialistic things over positive well-being or or personal development, and um, you know, so that's something I don't think, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, strive for these things, and it just might not be the best thing for them. Yeah, definitely. No, I definitely feel you on uh, those points, too, just because uh, now even I think about sometimes, like you were just saying, like, oh, yeah, if I had X amount or whatever, like, then I'm like, all right, but what, what would happen anyway? Mm-hmm. Like, what does it matter? <laughs> yeah, I mean, even now, like, I feel like people can might be able to see that now, like, yeah, yeah. you know, sometimes you really want all these materialistic things and say you're paying a lot more than you should for a car or, or maybe some designer clothes and shoes. But I mean, look at this this pandemic we're going through. You know, you have to stay at home and you can't even drive that car or you can't even wear those clothes and you're putting on sweatpants <laughs> every day. You know what I mean? So yeah. like in the grand scheme of things, you know, those things, materialistic things aren't uh, aren't that big of a deal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's why I think something like positive is going to come out of this. Just like that, like that stuff that you just said mentioned. Yeah. I mean, if you can't look at some of the positives. Of the situation, I, me personally, I, I think that that's one. But I mean, obviously, the the negatives yeah. really outweigh the positives at, at this time. Yeah, you know how the media is. <laughs> yeah. uh, last one. Uh, what's something you would move forward with if you weren't scared of what would happen if things didn't go well? Oh yeah, that's a <laughs> that's, that's a real one. Um, for one, I'm trying to lose my my fear of anything right now. That's something I'm going through. And that's something that Quincy, another thing Quincy had taught me. You know, when I first kind of started talking to Quincy, he had noticed some fear in me that, you know, I didn't really notice in myself. And But he, he was able to pick it up, you know, right away. And I always had always felt that it was, you know, just me being comfortable. So whenever I would get in a comfortable situation, you know, I would just try to stay in that comfortable situation for as long as as long as possible and just sit in it, you know, cause I'm comfortable. I'm good. Mm-hmm. There might be something better out there, but you know, I feel safe and secure. So I'm just going to stay here. And, you know, Quincy had picked this up about me and, you know, he exposed me on it, but instead of just exposing me and, you know, ridiculing me on it or whatever, Quincy's the type that, you know, he, he was able to point it out at me, but also help me work on to help me change that and fix that. And, you know, it's still a work in progress, but, you know, something I'm I'm trying to work on is uh, just trying to get over that fear. So I mean, that doesn't really answer your question, but <laughs> um, not get. I get what you're saying. Well, it's um, funny you said that too because uh, I've been trying to desensitize myself from thinking things are like crazy, like in a good way. Because like mm-hmm. stuff that happens, and I'm just like, yo, this is crazy. But it's re- and I'm like, all right, no, it's not. Like I set this up for X, Y, and Z to really happen, but I didn't really notice it at the time. So now I'm just like, all right. None like all these stories that I tell people and stuff. I'm like, all right, not, nothing's really crazy anymore. Like this, it's supposed to happen for because of the work I put in. Yeah, man. Uh, I mean, you can elaborate on that a little bit, so I can hear. 
you want me to elaborate on my story? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm just saying how like, you're working through that. Oh, yeah, just because like, all right, so I started my my business in 2011 when I was 19, and then uh, like I had all these pro athletes wearing it, all my like gear and stuff, and then uh, like I met one of them um, in 2013. So then, and I was like kind of starstruck, but like so then after, but after that, I was like, yeah, I can't be starstruck no more. Like it, like mm-hmm. it's a, it's a business thing, and uh, and now I'm not. So, I mean, that was one thing. And now I've been telling, like, like when I tell other people, like, these stories, and then they're like, this is crazy. And then they're like, this is crazy that this is happening and all this stuff, like, like good stuff. And I'm like, no, nah, it's not crazy anymore. Like, this is what we're doing to reach, like, random. We might not be setting a certain goal, but it's, like, good stuff is happening. Like, for example, like, po- like I have a podcast, too, so that's, like, one thing I'm thinking about. Like, and I just reach out to people, like, and I don't know them. And, they, and, they're, and especially now, like, pretty much everyone's saying yes because, like, they're not doing anything. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so I mean, sure. I don't know if that answers your question. To yeah, no, 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 for sure, for sure. No, I respect that. Yeah, yeah. So you ready for some fun questions off the pitch? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what's your What's your favorite food? Ah, uh, favorite food. Um, so, so this is, uh, I guess, kind of a story. So recently, I went vegan. All right. uh, maybe about <laughs> six months ago. Uh, but before that, it was probably like my mom's spaghetti or uh, or. Um, or her lasagna, but you know I, I, don't, I don't really eat that anymore. So uh, I'm trying to think of my favorite vegan foods. Um, yeah, that's tough. <laughs> how, how have you been eating? How have you been eating vegan now that like we're in the pandemic? Is it harder? Yeah, so uh, no, not really. Oh, okay. um, I actually do uh, use this little website that they send me meals uh, weekly. Oh, gotcha. And then uh, you know I'm just able they send all the ingredients and the cooking directions, so I just cut them up that way that's how i've been doing it but i don't i don't know if i have a favorite uh favorite vegan dish yet all right what about what's your what's your favorite song right now uh favorite song oh uh, this drake album just came out you know listening to that favorite song right now uh, i'm not sure um <laughs> all right it's all good yeah. Um, what about who Who would you want to do a jersey exchange with? We'll do like one in the MLS and one uh, in Europe. Okay. Europe, Cristiano Ronaldo for sure. Uh, that was my favorite player growing up. Mm-hmm. I used to have a big fat head sticker of him <laughs> on, uh, on my wall when I was young. So definitely him. And, uh, and over here, I would say, you know, my, uh, my brother, Ja'Cory Hayes, who plays on Minnesota United. You know, if we played, we're able to play against each other in the same game and exchange a jersey, uh, pretty, be pretty dope for me. Mm-hmm. So, because I've known him since the since the third grade and one of my best friends, so just being able to do that would be pretty cool. Yeah, that'd be dope. I'm sure you'll get to do it uh, eventually. Yeah, yeah, long time. All right, Chris. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show, and uh, could you let the people know where they can follow you on social media? Uh, thanks again for having me, Paul. You can find I only have Instagram and it's Chris underscore Odoia Chum. I don't know how to spell that. So O D O I A T S E M on Instagram. There you go. Thanks again. Uh, thank you so much, Paul. Quincy Marroquois here, and thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with someone you feel will get some value from it. And if you could take a moment to leave a review of our podcast wherever you're listening and let us know who you'd like us to interview next, we'll get working on that right away. You can listen to this full episode and more at perfectsoccerskills.com radio. 
That's perfectsoccerskills.com slash R-A-D-I-O. You can also enter to win free weekly soccer prizes, goals, balls, jerseys, player meet and greets, and more by heading over to perfectsoccerskills.com slash P-S-T-M to enter to win for free today.